You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Jane Messer, a writer, former associate professor in creative writing, and mentor for fiction and non-fiction authors. In this episode, we explore Jane's early fascination with storytelling, leading to further study in literature, sociology, and philosophy. Jane has published novels and anthologies of world literature, radio dramas, short stories, and most recently, a narrative video game. Jane also shares insights into her current project, Raven Mother, a memoir biography that explores her German Jewish grandmother and father's lives in 1930s Berlin, Tel Aviv, and Melbourne. This non-fiction work is based on personal experiences within major historical events and explores notions of intergenerational presence and absence, love, motherhood, relationship and identity. Jane outlines the essential contract of trust and honesty of intention between the author and the reader, as well as some of the practicalities for the writer related to evidence research and note-taking. Here's my conversation with Jane Messer. Oh, we've got, a, we've got a plane going over. We've got one of those Inner West planes going over. So <laughs> no need to tell the audience where, where we, we are. are. We are in Sydney's Inner West. So we'll just wait for that plane to, to uh, pass. Australians home. Well, yeah. From wherever they are overseas. Though actually, it's leaving. It's going away from yeah. mascot. So nice to reconnect with you again, Jane. Yes, nice to reconnect with you too, Mark. It's been a f- quite a few years. Yeah. So you've been through a few different changes in the short term. Um, I would like to go back in time and find out more about who you are, where you, what you're interested in, what you do. Um, well, I can't even think of what the question might be. Can you help us? <laughs> I will help you. Well, you know, thanks so much for, for inviting me onto your podcast. Um, so I'm a storyteller and a teacher and a mentor, and I guess I've led with the word storyteller in all its different forms, whether I'm talking or writing, teaching and so on. And when you asked me before, like, you know, where did it begin? And I think I was just lucky that I had two parents who came from really different backgrounds and who talked to us, my, you know, me and my brothers about, about their stories. So my father was um, a Jewish-German refugee who, uh, in a circuitous route, ended up in Melbourne as a young man. And my mum was a bush girl um, of Irish-British extraction from West Australia who had a fantastic childhood in the bush um, that had ended very suddenly when her mum died. And I guess my father's childhood or, you know, young adulthood ended very suddenly when his mother died so they had they had that in common and but then what they what they didn't have in common were the the types of childhoods that they'd had and they were the kind of people that did talk at the dinner table we always ate at the dinner table there was no television on 
Uh, what did no you talk other, about? They would talk about, well, their lives to an extent, politics, what was happening in the world, books they were reading. They were quite, I mean, I think in those days, because there was less noise from other media, we somehow, I never managed this as a parent myself, somehow they managed to keep us kids quiet some of the time and they would talk to each other with us eating and listening, I suppose. And then, of course, we were allowed to talk. Uh, but they were also book readers um, and they read the newspaper, like, you know, and, and so I guess, you know, I saw people reading as a normal activity and I would be read to at night. And because this is kind of bizarre, uh, when you think about my profession as a writer and a teacher of writing, I had dyslexia. So I, I wasn't reading myself, but I was being read to. And I think that, you know, I think, and sometimes I think you just sort of lean towards the thing that's the hardest thing you could possibly choose to do. And that mm. was in a sense, becoming a writer but I mean I was like completely passionate about it so there was it was just part and parcel of just, my DNA just wait for this plane Anna, another plane leaving mascot yeah smaller one this time so in terms of your dyslexia was that like did were you aware of it at the time and how did it was it diagnosed and then you had treatment or how does it how does that work like at the at the time we were living, because my father was an academic, he, he didn't have a proper job, so he would move around from university to university on different short-term grants. And so we were living in um, Palo Alto in San Francisco, because he was at Stanford. And I started school younger than they do at, so Americans start school at a minimum age of six much older than we do here and the school was quite concerned because I was quite young and so um, I don't know they had a resident they had educator psychologist that was just normal at that school and I was diagnosed as as having dyslexia and so I did I, I remember doing a kind of phonics work sounding words out looking at the words saying the word aloud with my mum and 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 doing it that way but it wasn't until years later, like in, until I was a mother myself, and I happened to be listening to an ABC radio program, and I heard this program about synesthesia. And so actually I was also at that time, I realized, synesthetic. So that added, that was an added complexity, which no one was aware of, because for me, letters and numbers had particular colors and particular sort of auras associated with them but of course I had no idea that that was irrelevant yeah, that you know that that was not going to help me learn to read that was just your experience that was it. my experience yeah. so can I just stop yeah. in my I'm going to kick into teacher mode the two key terms one of them is phonics or phonics yeah and also synesthesia can you just tell us just a little what are what are those two things oh well look I'm not an expert on phonics no, no, no. but but my understanding of phonics is that you joining the sounds of words to the way that they're written like and to what the, at to. yeah and you're looking at the word yeah. and you're sounding it out at the same time and then obviously looking at its meaning as well yeah. so trying to, uh, to 
C A T written down, and what is that? It's a cat. And, yeah, and it's, a, it's trying to. It's a. It's a really um, everyday. Like it's a typical approach to teaching young people to read. Yeah. 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 So like recognizing and, letters, forming sounds, that yes. kind of thing. And. I know there's lots of disputes. Oh, there Edu- is. Yes, we yes. won't go into those. No, disputes. we won't go into no. those. But so the other, what's the synesthesia? So the synesthesia is where a person associates a different sense with a particular <clears throat> thing. That it, there's no logical connection. So uh, it can be between. Um, say shapes of things objects and and sounds so that somebody might look at a roast chicken and every time they see a roast chicken they might think of or feel um, a piece of music they might associate Mm. with a piece of music or a texture or the color blue right it's completely irrelevant so what was it for you when you were growing up i would have particular letters had particular colors so, what so was the small letter N oh, yeah. was bottle green. Wow. Oh, a forest, a, yeah, like a forest green. And a capital A was always white. So what did that mean for your development in terms of uh, writing, reading, and then school? This sort of, you know, what, what happened then type thing? Um, look, it, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't great because obviously I felt, you know, I was like behind all the time and struggling and it wasn't, wasn't easy. But I, but I, I think I had this kind of sudden neurological development, which apparently does happen where, you, you know, your brain suddenly grows and changes. And I, the synesthesia went, um, or most of it went. And I suddenly kind of just started reading at, with Avarice at around the age of probably 12, maybe 11, and kind of raced through the Silver Brumby series and the Little Australians, and then grabbed books from my parents' shelves, which included, because my father being German, an interest in European literature, um, various German writers, Dostoevsky, Gorky, uh, Tolstoy, uh, Chekhov, and then kind of read through them at the age of, like, became suddenly really precocious. Uh, was really attracted to books with naughty titles, uh, like The French Lieutenant's Woman, um, which of course was not naughty at all. Uh, and then, you know, my mum was had loved Jane Austen and so on. So I sort of spent the next few years kind of like, secretly ploughing through these books while also being a kind of rebel teenager the rest of the time. Yes. And starting writing and being quite confused about how everything related to each other, but just doing it anyway. Continuing on anyway. (laughs) And then how did your kind of schooling uh, finish up, like in the transition from school to higher education, I'm assuming? Oh, it was not good. Look, I started, because I was a pretty shy person, which you would not guess now. I was, I had, I think because I'd travelled, I'd moved from so many schools, I'd been to, I ended up at four high, so I think I went to about 14 schools, mm. and lived in different countries and so on. I'd become a bit phobic, I got over it, but like when, 
I finished high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't get into the course that I wanted to do, which was journalism and communications at University of Technology. But you had to have an ATAR of like 95 to get in. So you're back in you're in Australia. Yeah, back at in this Australia. Point, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you've gone. You've applied for UTS, and you didn't quite get the marks. But then, so what? So I just and I wasn't that interested. So I just worked for a couple of years, um, and eventually got kind of bored with. Uh, unskilled work and so started at university after a couple of years and this is long before anybody did gap years so my Mm. parents weren't happy at all you know with my lack of training Um, started at Macquarie University in fact as an undergraduate started focused on English decided though after a half a year a year I didn't want to read the way that they were teaching and <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? I just well, how were they teaching? I, In twenty-five words or less. What was what was the approach? They were, it was it was very interested in symbolic meaning of literature. And you know, we would read Sylvia Plath and we'd look at how many times she used a particular colour or something. I like the green light at uh, the Great Gatsby. The green light at the end is representative of... Yes, yes, thank you. Okay. And I guess because I was always, without knowing it then, coming from a writing practice, I I just found it trite. And I was deeply interested in people and culture. And it wasn't speaking to who we are now we were, wasn't making drawing a relationship between who we are now and what, what we were reading and um, so I switched to communications and sociology and philosophy and I was much much happier and absolutely loved those studies and they were teaching me things about the world that were then helping me frame how I wrote about people in my in my fiction you know, it was giving me a deeper understanding of people in the world and our history and culture. So tell us more. We, we're going to finish up this first little chunk yes. yeah. of time. But tell us more about the some of the, the um, what do you call them, literature, fiction, books that you've, you, that you've written. Like, what, how oh. do you refer to them? Oh, well... And what are they about? Or, you know, <laughs> what do they explore? So... In so I've written, I've published five, uh, three novels, so they're adult fiction. I guess you'd call them literary fiction, um, by which I mean fiction that is also interested in in how it's written in language and and writing kind of rhythmic and beautiful sentences rather than just focused on plot and character. Though my novels are focused on plot and character. Um, so, not not your 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 um, page turner like Dan Brown. Okay, so not that kind of literature is, I guess, how you describe it. I don't want to sound elitist because everybody is interested in story, but I'm also interested in sentences and and the, the rhythm and sounds of things. And I've published two anthologies of, um, one was like a passion project where I gathered all these pieces um, from world literature about insomnia. Oh, okay. Because I'm such a bad sleeper. So that was Bedlam, an anthology of sleepless nights. And I've published lots of like short stories, poetry, 
essays, scholarly essays for my university, much later for my university work. Um, you know, just lots of I've, two radio plays because I love I love radio, you know, and theatre. But I can't imagine writing a theatre play. But I love writing for sound. Uh, and I've also written an online game, narrative game. That was a recent project with some other researchers, which was absolutely challenging, so much fun. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So you have um, quite a few publications. Um, we didn't get to hear so much about your um, role in teaching at university, but then the time has marched on and we're here now. <laughs> so what, have you, what are you working on currently and how, how did the, that come about? I'll quickly say that the, in, with, you, with the university where I was teaching creative writing, I got that job. I've always worked in the university's teaching because I'm a writer. So people who teach creative writing need to be practicing writers. So I was writing and publishing and teaching all at the same time. And now having really focused for many, many years on, on works of fiction, the story that had to be told that I wanted to write for a long time, which is about my grandmother, the, my father's mother, who had quite an amazing life, but it ended very tragically. So she's one of the people that um, survived Nazi Germany. She, they were Berliners and survived the Holocaust because she was one of the fortunate people who was living in Palestine. Um, but on her immigration to Australia, not having seen her kids for 12 years um, or her husband for 10 years, soon after took her own life. And because, and my father was very closely involved with that. He, he didn't have a good relationship with her. He, you know, they were quite estranged, but he was asked to identify her body and he was just a very young man. He was only 22. And that really shaped he is, I can assure you. And then as the years went on, and I knew many, many stories and started to question them, I started to see that it also had shaped me. And so the book, which I call a memoir biography, first it started off, Raven Mother is its name, started off, I wanted to write about her because I felt like she was this sort of big present absence in our lives. And she'd had a, um, I was uncovering more and more wonderful things about her that the family didn't know and like I was you know actively researching and and then uh, through that process realizing that I actually had to write about my dad and then realizing again that I actually had to write about myself so it's really a new genre for me not only is non-fiction you know writing stories about others factually not being what I'd done a lot of what I really have never done is write about me, and that's been quite challenging, exciting, and interesting. Learning about that. Uh, so, on a practical level, yeah. how do you, how does one go about that whole process? It sounds like quite potentially quite complicated, and 
uh, how would you how would you sort of make a start look there's no every story every situation I guess has its own um, needs and, and and you need to be led by what the situation demands but in my case some of it is historical research it's um, obviously learning about world history so that you can kind of understand the large forces that the individual was involved in it's archival it's going through finding letters photographs searching down clues reading other literature that that she might have been reading that would have so what influenced sort of her times what sort of historical times like is there a range of kind of key dates so i focused my research really from about um the 1850s which was when you know her my grandparents parents were were born so culturally we're going to shape the person that she and my grandfather were but then really 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 honing in on the histories of the places that they lived so looking in depth at berlin during the from when she was born to to when she left or fled uh, in, in 1937 looking at tel aviv where she then lived for 10 years through the war and afterwards before the war during the war and afterwards um, and say Melbourne where she came to and where my father had immigrated to a couple of years earlier which is quite a lot you know like and also because you're you're just looking at these really complex histories but trying to find what her experience was because it actually wasn't a typical experience so I'm always trying to look for clues for how to understand her she was a really good letter writer you can you can see her love of life and this like quite sharp intelligence in the few letters that I have and so I'm trying to look imaginatively look through at that world she was in through the little I know that I can guess were her eyes and then like Again, on a practical level, look, if you've got this sort of evidence, like a letter, what do you, you sort of read through it and got a, a pen and paper or something? Or how do you, are you making notes or how, how does so it work? Yeah. Or how so do you work? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not as systematic as I'd like to be, um, partly because I'm a bit time poor. But I have, for instance, I have a spreadsheet. Um, you can get software that does this as well, but I'd use an Excel spreadsheet for chronologies. So I just put in major events as well as very small personal events. And then that helps me see the sort of cascade of history and how something might have um, affected her or how a story might have been shaped by things that, you know, because initially I'm relying on my dad's stories. So one of the big things was my, my my grandmother committed suicide and her mother committed suicide mm. so my parents which is something that I talk about in the in the book were quite worried that I had inherited their DNA and that I would be predisposed to mm. committing suicide. Well I guess this is the mysteries of yeah, you know the, yeah. that sort of territory. So but but through doing this research I discovered that actually my great-grandmother committed suicide in a period of Nazism when 
many older Jewish women who were not able to immigrate, who could not leave the country because no one would take them. They didn't have the money, they, they didn't have the youth which anyone wanted. There was an epidemic of suicide. So that was like a huge revelation, a big revelation, because that means there isn't a kind of family pathology, but it was a revelation, it was incredibly sad. To, you know, to read the letters of people saying, I am so sorry, but I'm, I'm going to say goodbye now because I, I, there's no future and I don't want to be a burden. It has a haunting, pragmatic kind of feel to it. That's, it does. That's it does. And so it's been quite moving and, and deeply saddening to get these all these glimpses of of all these lives that 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 ended in that way um and and then yeah writing about that that huge history some of it lesser known uh and find, finding the personal in it you know which is that some of that is my my family story and, and it makes me who i am and then what else what other resources are you drawing upon to, to kind of expand the family that family story so you read i read widely of of um a particularly like uh scholarship that draws on oral histories or letters because you hear the people the voice of real people and also literature so reading lots of um uh european writers of the time um and also Luckily, there's like more and more work from German writers in the 1930s and 20s now being translated into English. So reading novels and memoirs and poetry and also reading more contemporary uh, writers like, you know, the late Israeli author um, Amos Oz. Um, yeah, and then you just have to make lots and lots of notes and try and be as organised as possible. Um, so I have a user Scrivener, which is a software platform which is really designed for writers um, such as myself. What, what does, how does that work? So in Scrivener you can gather not only the, the writing that you're doing, the creative writing that you're doing, or you know you might be writing a thesis for that matter, but you can also bring in images, you can organise your images, your URL links, your PDFs. So scans of letters, for example. Yes, yeah. And so it helps you retrieve all those things that you've got rather than like in the old days when I was writing um, a historical novel provenance. I just had notebooks with highlighter pens and, and post-it notes and, and sort of boxes with labels. And, you know, it could take me half a day to find a note that I'd written. I mean, because we just didn't, at that point, have the, the electronic software that we have now. Mm. So do you start off like, do you sort of know what you're looking for or you just sort of happen upon it and then think, oh, well, look at that, that's noteworthy? Or how, how does that sort of process work I mean, for it, you? Yeah, it just starts, yeah, and I'm kind of, writers have to be curious, like, you know, if you're not curious and if you're not one of those people who you know are just prepared to follow that little trail and and trip over that rabbit hole it's not going to work it's you've got to be lateral you've got to be kind of creative 
there's a lot of accident that happens and epiphanies and so on. But then once once you get going, then you need to start to go, okay, what's what what do I need to know? What's the shape of the kind of knowledge that I need to gather? You know, and, Do you and have so, that yet? Or like are you in that now? Oh yeah, now. But I mean I've been doing this book for a lot, you know, while also writing other things and working full time and raising families and so on. But I've this it's not, I didn't start this last year. I'm sure you're there. It's been a project of a long time because it's a very complex one and one that's close to my heart. Um, so, yeah, now I'm very, very organised. I'm quite clear of, okay, I've finished. In fact, at this point, apart from just sort of, uh, you know, like I've lived in Berlin twice. I've, I've to, to understand the city, to do research, to meet people, to live in the street that my father was born on in. I've been to Tel Aviv, I've lived for a short time, relatively short time in, in Tel Aviv. I've been to the street that she so lived why, in for many why years. Why is this important? Because she was there, but also for me now, as what I would call... What's her name? Bella. Bella. Bella Rosa was her name. Bella. Yeah, it's funny that we hadn't said that. Um, I'm also wanting to address in in the book the the second injustice or the, the the consequential injustice, which is the injustice to Palestinians, and the, so you know you had this massive immigration of people into to Palestine because of. Um, the Nazis and the war uh, that Germany started and its invasion of, of Poland and, and so on. You know, people were flooding in and this has caused, you know, exile. Um, it's caused a lot of harm. And in one of Bella's letters, which I only have two or three, she did mention in like one small phrase, and maybe she wrote about it in greater extent elsewhere that there was racism towards Arabs and so that to my mind that's also something I felt I wanted to explore uh, to make a connection. How do you describe what you're working on? So the book that I'm writing which is non-fiction it's called I guess as a genre, it's creative non-fiction. And the thing about what we call creative non-fiction, which is like for people who are interested in writing, you see that phrase everywhere, not everywhere, but many places, or narrative non-fiction, is that you can use the skill of the, the, the fiction writer, the narrative skills of creating a scene, creating a sense of people, of characters, um, of pacing, and excitement and so on, which is what we love about stories, but it has to be true. So in narrative nonfiction or creative nonfiction, you can't invent things, you can't twist the facts, you can't omit really important facts that if if you omitted them would change the, the sense of, of something. And so it, it it, that makes it kind of challenging but also exciting because you need to bring in contradictory voices, um, opinions, ideas, 
like while I'm writing my story about my grandmother, I have different ideas about her than my dad does. So I need to include his different opinions in, in a way that, that makes sense and embraces that kind of variety of ideas. Uh, and yet at the same time, because it's narrative, non-fiction, it's creative, it's not a textbook, it's not um, a scholarly science document, it has to feel like a story. You know, you want people to turn the pages. You want them to have those sort of aha moments. I'm interested how your dad's experience of, of kind of reflecting and thinking back on all this. Well, yes, he, I guess, look, he's, it's been very, very good. Dad is 94 and he had, I guess part of the reason I started this project many years ago was because he had always said his mother didn't love him. And in some deep way, I think I started to think, well, if his mother didn't love him and I'm now here, then that means my dad's not lovable in some way. And I think that kind of bothered me, you know, because I think he is quite, he's eccentric, but he is lovable. And so I've, I've over, in a sense, what I've wanted to do is show him he did, she did love him. She didn't, as he says, abandon her because actually she saved his life. And I've been in my scholarly research very interested in the way that mothers uh, are represented. And it seemed to me that she was done a great injustice as being a mother who was abandoning her son. And in fact, what she did was save his life. But to do that, to save her children's lives, she needed to take them to safety in England and then return to Germany. And so you, with my dad, I've kind of been talking to him about those things for a while. And at certain points he has said, yeah, okay, maybe she did love me. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. I can't remember where we were now. We were talking about me and dad and love and love. So yeah, it was. It's it's been a special experience. Um, I think it's difficult because if you felt that your mother didn't love you, and you felt that, and you've lived that for all your life. It, that is not going to really, really shift a huge amount. But I think at, at, he has softened, and I think at an intellectual level, he's found the conversations we've had and the research that I've done. He's a scientist, so he had to have facts, and I've been able to bring facts to him that he didn't know. He has certainly found that moving and very interesting and affecting and I I think that that has been a really good experience for him and certainly certainly been an important one for me because I really did not want I mean I guess you know you could say I'm predisposed to find a particular 
answer, but I just did not believe that she did not love her children because also I'd look at all the photos and she's just like the way she would embrace him. You know, I thought that is not just posing for a picture. There's, you know, love and affection there. And That's a good starting point to, to make that assumption, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was like a contradiction. You know, you have Dad's stories and his feelings, him saying what how he, he experienced it. And then you have this other these other artifacts and trying to work out, well, how did that all happen? I mean, he, he felt abandoned because, you know, he was left in a school, um, a German-Jewish boarding school called Bunce Court in Kent at the age of eight, you know, in 1935 at a time when it was very hard to leave Germany. It was getting hard to leave Germany. The Nazis did not want Jews to leave. At first they did want them to leave and then they changed their mind because actually they want, you know, well, we won't go down that, that path that, of history. It's too, too uh, it would take too much time. Uh-huh. So how many, like have you set yourself, you've been working on it for many, many years. Um, have you got a, a, a kind of schedule or a completion time at the moment for your well, since, for this yeah, project? Since, because I've uh, left full-time work at Macquarie now and um, uh, yeah, so what are, you, what are you doing? So, so now I've taken the part of my work that I loved the most, which was working with emerging writers, uh, mentoring them with their manuscripts, So, I've t- which I've done for 30 years in my teaching uh, of creative writing in universities. And I'm set up shop as a creative writing mentor. Uh, so I'm working independently and also working with the Australian Society of Authors. Um, and doing that in the afternoons and writing my book in the morning so uh and and having time for family and for friends and podcast interviews and podcast interviews life couldn't be better (laughs) it sounds like a good combination it is so what's involved with the um well i guess what's involved with all of that really on a you know what are you, you sort of got a you repeat the same thing each day or it's sort of like got no a, no I look I would I, lo- I would love routine I'd love to have more routine but you know look okay but you know with my writing I'm I'm hoping to finish the book this year I'm well well underway with it um, I've done a lot of research and and you know a little bit more will continue but really the focus is now the writing so you do the research as a separate phase. You don't start writing until. Oh, uh, well, yeah. That work? Well, I mean, with this, yeah, because I, I, because in a sense, with nonfiction, I'm writing about like part of the book is about living in Berlin, and li- literally, just by happenstance, I ended up living with my son in the building next to next to the apartment that my father was born in. So wow. you kind of bring in that lived research into the narrative. So it is my story. You know, it's a contemporary story. It's not just a historical story. Mm. Do you decide how, like, how, this is a, maybe a possibly a clunky question, but do you know how many words approximate, or how many pages or you look? Like, yeah, um, I mean, look, writers when they're starting out often don't have a sense of that but you know I've published a lot and I've done a lot of writing so I'm I'm aiming I want it to be fairly short so I'm aiming for about 65 70,000 words which which translates to, to oh it'd be oh I don't know <laughs> less than 300 pages oh okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. less than maybe 220 or 250 right. I, I can't 
Yeah. And then what do you, what do you think this sort of project will, will kind of offer to readers? Because it's like a highly personal biography. It is highly personal, but it's also it's also about history, and I think it's bringing people a really different sense, different idea about um, uh, that history, be- be- because some of the things that I'm bringing out are lesser known, and it also, um, you know, my family, as many German Jews, particularly German uh, Berlin Jews, were in the 30s, were secular. They were. They were acculturated Germans. They they were not particularly religious. This was normal, and that's a, under the view of Jewish people that is not particularly well known um, and contradicts some assumptions. She was very involved in um, in new forms of public health, of welfare work and children's education. She trained in the what we popularly know as the Montessori method as an early childhood educator. She met with professors from America and Europe. She was like at the forefront of all these new ways of um, caring and educating people that today we, in, in a sense, you know, taking more for granted, but which were somewhat revolutionary at the time. There's all sorts of histories there that that I think are fascinating and also a personal story. What is more interesting than hearing about somebody's life? If you love stories, that's what we, we like to do. It doesn't matter whether it's non-fiction or fiction if the story is told well and if that essential contract between the, the the writer, the text, and the reader is held up, which is that. What's that essential text? Oh, I'm not familiar trust. with I this. I know, I know, I Tell know. Tell us about I, yeah, this. Is that the reader wants to trust that what you're writing, what your what the text is saying, is tr- is true in its own terms. That it's offered with with a kind of with the writer's sort of honesty of intention. And this is particularly important for narrative nonfiction. So if I'm going to write about myself and my father, I can't, I can't, and my grandmother, the reader will, needs to believe that I'm telling them everything that's important. And that I'm telling them that because it will also be important to them. That they'll have, that they'll receive something from it that's meaningful. Can you kind of predict what that meaningful something is, or? Well, yeah, because that is the art of writing, is to connect with your audience, your imaginary audience, your imaginary reader, your implied reader. And that's difficult because it takes, it's a skill that you acquire over time. Can, Can that skill be taught? Yes. Of course. I mean, I'm, I've been a creative writing teacher all those years. It's it's an art and it's a craft and it involves technique just as um, other arts uh, do. You can apprentice yourself as a writer just as the uh, painters used to apprentice themselves to the great painters or to the better painter in their village. Uh, you know, we go to art school, we go to radio school, we go to film school. You know, we go to creative writing school. What, what are some of the fundamentals that kind of pop up 
regularly in that kind of creative writing space when people are learning i mean what are some uh, biggies so what are some biggies uh some of the biggies are well okay to read attentively and to read thoughtfully to, to pay attention to what it is you're reading and to start to think about how is that being constructed what's what's the text actually doing here how did the writer make this happen what, to what's the this make this happen well it, it depends what you're yeah, you're yeah. you're reading so if if give us an example okay so why is a poem a poem and why is it not a short story that right? sounds like a bit of a poem in itself what you just said <laughs> no 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 why no. is it um, okay so then we would look at well okay well what well, is what, what something does, you maybe. know no no that's 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 no? too vague so okay so what is a narrative we might look story at, yeah but what what how do we know it's not a, a business report kind of thing so a story has to a narrative will always have obviously will have characters and it'll have a linked sequence of events where that are meaningfully linked that have consequences and effects and impacts so that already frames it as being something different to uh, a business report for instance. I, I keep thinking of your um, father's with the, the kind of information that you get in scientific kind of fields versus that information acting as evidence but within a human story that's kind of like mm. is that a spectrum or it's like worlds apart that's a little bridge over it or I don't know um, I'm not quite sure what your question <laughs> means Mark but I can assure you having read his biochemistry papers about um, well, they're forms of marsupial reports. Marsupial milk. Yeah, yeah. They're reports. There's no story yeah. there. there I can, it's, it's, Could they be? It's incredibly important work, but it's not a narrative. It definitely isn't. So the signifier really is, is the human element or the embodied, like lived kind of element? Or what's, dif what's the difference? The difference is that it's about people and society and culture whether it be historical fiction or historical non-fiction or speculative fiction it it's about people even if it's even if it's you know alice in wonderland and there's character rabbit characters no yeah they don't need to be human they necessarily don't need to be human because obviously we've humanized them we're giving them ideas and voices and we're investing them with our own um storiness but actually the human brain is formed around narrative we, we're constantly telling each other stories when you go go home this evening you know you, you, your, your partner your friend your cousin might say to you how was your day and you'll tell a story about your day i will i got a i got a good story <laughs> to tell amazing, here <laughs> you met this amazing woman but these planes kept flying over um and and so really what the fiction writer or the non-fiction writer is doing is taking this storiness which we're just which is embedded in us it's how we learn language how we learn to speak how we learn about each other and and making it into an art that can speak in a really nuanced sometimes very complex um, way a complex in a rich way not in a in not in a way that's elitist or excluding people 
but you know can can communicate important meanings and feelings and also you know for the reader this is this is great because you get to travel vicariously to all these worlds you get to travel into another mind when you're reading a wonderfully drawn character which is kind of amazing when you think about it that you can inhabit another consciousness in this episode, I chatted with Jane Messer, a writer, teacher, and writing mentor. You can find out more about Jane in the show notes, including links to her website and blog, janemesser.com, J-A-N-E-M-E-S-S-E-R. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.